The rest of you can turn to the book of Ruth. To the book of Ruth. We've been looking at hope and peace. And this week we're looking at love. And uh, I'd like to look at it from the book of Ruth, which is kind of hard to find. If you know, it's kind of that uh, tucked away book between several uh, books there. It's Judges and then Ruth and then 1 Samuel. And it's only four chapters. It's quick. Um, we're we're going to focus on chapter 4, if you want to turn there. I'm, I'll kind of give us the backstory so we understand where we're headed. Um, because we have, we have the chance to kind of think about God's love for us through the story of Ruth, right? There's lots of different kinds of love out there. We have uh, the love you might have for a pet, right? Like a favorite pet that you have. Um, our dog is great, uh, 90% of the time, we love him. You know, there's that percent, right? You're like, this is an idiot dog, an idiot dog, you know? He goes around barking at squirrels that he could never reach in a million years, and he still has to bark at them. Like, why? Right? There's other types of love. There's the, the love that's, uh, you know, for uh, a family member, that, 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 that unconditional love that reaches out and says, I am here for you. No matter what. Um, this week, we want to see God's love for us as redemptive love through the story of Ruth, right? The story of Ruth starts off with, uh, with a family. His name was Elimelech, and he had his son, his wife Naomi, and they had two sons together. And unfortunately, in the land of Israel at that time, there was a famine. An economic downturn, whatever, whatever caused the famine, there was a famine in the land. And they were, uh, they, they, were, they were hungry, they didn't have money, they didn't have resources. So, they, so what happens in Israel is every clan or every family had a piece of land. Don't think like an acre, think more like maybe a square mile or something like that. It's bigger, okay? Every family has a, a piece of land, and, and it's theirs... Um, Forever, in a sense, that's the way God set it up when He gave them the land, um, and uh, they they're supposed to work the land, have that provide for them. But um, they can, if things go bad, they can they can sell the land, and then every fifty years, it all reverts, right? So they, it's never sold permanently. the The land would revert back to the family, even though there were destitute circumstances or difficult times, at the 50th year, no matter what, boom, it goes back to the family. So you have this security, this sense of belonging, this sense of, of place, and, um, and, and a sense of this is our family. Well, they, had to, they felt like they had to, because of the famine, they had to leave the land. They probably sold it off just to get the funds necessary, because it's a famine, to, to leave, and they went to Moab. They settled in Moab. They lived there for 10 years. The two boys grew up. They, they, they had wives. And, uh, and then it went from, it, it seemed like things were turning around, but then all of a sudden, the husband, Elimelech, dies. The two sons die, and it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And Naomi figures, I got nothing to lose. I got nothing here. I might as well go back to my hometown, to Bethlehem. 
And so she tells her daughter-in-law, I'm going back. And they go with her for a while, but then she finally turns to them and is like, why are you going back with me? There's no point. It's not like I can give you sons. It's not like you're going to be able to get, uh, uh, it's, it's not like I can give you husbands. You're not going to be able to necessarily get a husband in Israel where you can get one back at home with your family. Once again, they could provide for you. Just, just go home. And one daughter-in-law does. But Ruth, which is the name of the book, right? Ruth decides, your God is my God. I'm part of your family now. I'm sticking with you. And she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Naomi gets back and they're like, you know, it's been 10 years, but they're like, hey, isn't this Naomi? And she's like, yeah, but don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I felt like God's dealt bitterly with me. I've lost everything. I left. At least I had a family. I come back with nothing. Now, it's a tragedy of a story, but when you get to that point in the story, what do you think will turn it around? What will, what, what, you know, we're, we're looking not for a tragedy, we're looking for that story, uh, a story of, of hope, a story of love. How, what would turn this around? You ever think about that? Like, how would you tell the story from this, this point forward in order to make it at least go from tragedy to potentially, you know, hope? potential direction of, of something that's better. You know, as, as Americans, we might talk about the American dream, that, that with just a little hard work and a little luck, you can, you can get it back, you know, and, and maybe you can just, just work hard, go for it, you know, do whatever you can to, to kind of get back to a semblance of life and hope. Maybe you'd say, hey, you know, you've got your daughter-in-law, use her assets. You know, she, you know, she can probably find a husband out there somewhere, and then everything's going to be okay, you know. How, how, how beautiful is she? You know, can she get a husband or not? You know, that's probably Hollywood's answer. Maybe you'd say, hey, you know what? We need to devote our resources to making sure that we can develop technology so that Famine doesn't happen again in Israel, right? Technology would say, hey, the problem is, you know, you're lacking control of something. You need to develop the technology to be able to solve the problem so that future generations don't have these famines and don't have these tragedies, right? Maybe you'd say, you know what, if we just went all back to communal property, if we just all lived together in a community and it didn't matter whose property was whose and who had debt and who didn't have debt, if we just all lived that way, then this wouldn't be a tragedy. Each of those leaves out the loss, the sorrow that, that Naomi's gone through. What, what, what can you do for Naomi in this scenario? What provides hope? And as we move into the second chapter, we see Ruth deciding to go, to go out and, and it's harvest time. She's going to go out and harvest grain. And what, what they would do at that point in time, if you were poor... You could go around and when the, the, to, to the farming 
fields that are out there. And as, as the, the harvesters are harvesting the grain, of course, by hand, you could go behind them and pick up what they left behind, what they didn't get on their way through. You'd have to process it, but it was, it was, you, could, you, would, you would get something. And so that's what, they're that poor that they don't, they don't have any land, they don't have any resources, so she just decides, I'm going to go out, find some, find some fields where they're harvesting, and just work behind them and pick up some extra stuff, and we'll get a few, we'll get a few meals, maybe we can get a couple months of food out of this deal, get us through the winter. So she starts to do this, and it's hard work. It's like, okay, it's the American story of hard work. She works hard, and she has a little luck, because the guy in charge of the field likes her. She notices what's going on. It's like, hey, glad you're here. Actually, I'm, I'm related to your, to your, uh, to your mother-in-law, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'll make sure you're, you're, you're protected. I'm, I'll make sure that you, you have what you need. You just, just take what you need, but uh, we'll, we'll make sure you're protected while you work here. And so she's got a little luck. She's got hard work going for her, and it's like, okay, there's some hope here. But that's not how, again, the story unfolds. Because once she gets back to Naomi, Naomi's like, no, there's something else that goes on in Israel that's not just about hard work and a little luck. It's the fact that we have redeemers, kinsmen redeemers, where an extended family member might see our need and reach out to us and, and take care of the problem for us. And so she sends Ruth to Boaz privately to, 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 to just say, hey, can you redeem our situation? Can you take care of the problem? And Boaz says that he will. And that gets us to, in that sense, point number one, love's redeemer. Love's redeemer. The kind of love that we're talking about here is redemptive love. That doesn't just say, well, the community's okay, even if you're not okay. Um, the, 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 the problem, we'll just kind of hope that you, through hard work, you can get a little bit of a life, even though this tragedy happened to you. I'm sorry it happened, but there's not a lot I can do. Instead, we're talking about redemptive love. Love that comes in, in the midst of problems, and takes care of it. You can, I don't, I'm not, this morning, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go to the passages, but if you want to read about a kinsman redeemer, you can find it in Leviticus 25 and 26 and 27. But here's what a, a kinsman redeemer could do. They weren't commanded to do it, but they could do it. They had the responsibility to protect, that you can write these three things down, the person, the property, and the posterity, the person's the property and the posterity of the extended family or those in the family who had those needs. And this kinsman redeemer would see the need in the extended family and do something about it if the person, the person had a problem, if the property of the, of the extended family member was at stake, and if the posterity, the inheritance, the family of that person was at stake. Because when we're talking about love, sometimes we just talk about love as forgiveness. We ran across this kind of funny thing back, back when um, 
Pope John Paul II passed away. You remember how, and, and, and some of you are too young to remember this, of course, but, uh, but w- when you had the dot-com thing going on, every, all, all these famous uh, website names, right, you could, you could sell for money. And so in this transition from Pope John Paul II to Pope Benedict XVI, a domain hoarder, in a sense, registered benedictthe16th.com before the new pope's name was announced, right? Okay. So he, he secured it, he bought it, and then he's like, well, um, maybe the Vatican will want it, right? Maybe I can sell it to the Vatican. And there was other names that were out there that had been bought up, like Pope PopeBenedictthe16th.com surpassed $16,000 on eBay. Cadenhead, though, was a Catholic himself, and he didn't want money. He said, you know what? I don't want money. Here's what I want. I want one of those hats. I don't know what those hats mean. Maybe one of those bishops hats? I'm going to guess. Just one of those hats, he says. I also, I want a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. And the third, he said, complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. Complete forgiveness for that whole week. I don't know what happened that week. It makes you curious, kind of, right? right? But he's like, I, I'm gonna, I just want that. I want forgiveness. And sometimes we think of love simply as forgiveness. Like, okay, it's kind of the, the, the grandmother who pats her grandson on the head and is like, oh, no big deal that you ruined my, you know, my great China, you broke all my China. No big deal, I forgive you, you know? Oh, d- Sometimes we think of, of God as a God of love. We just equate it with, that's all he does is forgive. But if all God does is forgive, then there's no reason for, for God to send his son as a baby and to become one of us and even die for us on a cross. If all God does is forgive, then you have a God of, in a sense, universalism, that God's just going to forgive everybody, because that's, that's what he does. But God is not a God of just forgiveness, he's a God of redemption. He buys us out of our trouble, he pays for it, and he brings us out of it. And that's what God, that's what, that's what is, is being asked of Boaz here. Boaz, we're in trouble we, our land is gone. Our family is in tatters. Boaz, will you take care of us? Will you redeem the situation? Not will you forgive us, like, oh, sorry, we, yes, I forgive you. You left Israel and you had all these problems. I'm, it, no, will you redeem us? I ran across this story from Philip Griffin. He said, I saw a sign once that I, lo- that I love. It was a lost dog sign. There was a, a big cash reward for whoever found the lost dog, right? So you see it on the, on the, on the, the telephone pole, whatever, lost dog, you know, $100 or whatever it was. And here was the description of the dog. It said, he's only got three legs. He's blind in the left eye. He's missing a right ear. His tail has been broken off. He was neutered accidentally by a fence. Ouch. He's almost deaf. And he answers by the name Lucky. The dog is not lucky. 
He's a mess, right? But this dog, this owner is like, loves him and doesn't just want to see him, him, you know, forgiven, thrown away. He wants to redeem him. He wants to buy him back. He's like, look for this dog. I care enough about this dog that I want him back and I'm willing to pay for it. And most of us would be like, just glad, glad I don't have to take care of the dog anymore, right? He ran away. He's on his own. Hopefully lucky can really be lucky, Right? But this is the love of God for us, exemplified in this story. That's why it laid it out in the law in Leviticus, because God is a God not just of forgiveness. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of redemption. He buys us out of our troubles, and he brings us back to himself. You can see that even more clearly as we get into chapter 4 and we look at love's inheritance. Love's inheritance. And here's where we'll take a little bit of time and read. Because I want you to both see the text and then also to to catch the the, the amazing thing that happens here. Chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Because he had to, gate is where he conducted business, Okay. And behold, the Redeemer, the one, so Boaz told Ruth, look, there's a Redeemer who's ahead of me, who, who has prior claim to, to help you out. I'm, I've got to straighten this out before I can do it. But if I can, I will, is what he told Ruth. So, so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he's not just a friend, he's a relative, right? Within the extended family. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So he's getting witnesses. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, or trying to redeem it is actually probably what is being said here. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not... Tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I, I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So he's like, he's like, there's a portion of land that's a limilex, that's basically under mortgage. If you could redeem it, then she'd be okay, and, and you could be okay too, and it would be all, you could help the family out. And he's like, I'll do that. So this guy isn't a bad guy. He wants to help out. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. So he's saying, look, it's not just, and let's remember, right, Kinsman Redeemer had the responsibility to protect the persons, the property, and the posterity. So it's not just, okay, the property's under mortgage, we need to get it resolved. He's like, she's got no, she's got no sons. Naomi's got no sons. She just has a, a daughter, Ruth, who could have who could have a son, who could, who could pass on the land to the family and keep the, family in, in, keep the land in the family, but so you're going to have to take care of that too. So the kinsman redeemer is, why? Because he's redeeming. It's not like, okay, I'll take care of your person, but I won't take care of your property. I won't take care of your posterity. Just think about that for a moment. Most of us, if we saw somebody in need, we're like, hey, you need some clothes? No problem. I, I, I'll buy you some clothes. I got some clothes in my closet. I'll give you clothes, Right? Or if some of us would be like property, like, okay, you know, man, you're about to lose your home. You're about to to lose your livelihood. I I, want to help with that. I'll I'll help you keep your home. 
you know. But when it comes to inheritance, we're kind of like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of on you, isn't it? Or that, that, that's just up to fate. You know, what, what kind of inheritance are you going to have? I don't know. But the kinsman redeemer is, is not just redeeming their, their situation. They're redeeming their inheritance. He's, he's willing to go in and say, I'm, I'm willing to solve this for you. And, and th- these duties go together to be one. <laughs> you can't separate these out. And, and so he's like, you've, you've got to provide an inheritance for the family as well. You have to provide a son, basically. Notice verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He's like, I've got plans for my family, for, for my posterity, and, and I can't mess those plans up. He probably had a wife, he probably had kids already, and for, for whatever reason, he didn't want to enter into that part of the problem. Doesn't say why. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So you lost your, you lost your shoes when you conducted a business deal. You're going, yeah, just, just keep that in mind. Next time you go to Israel. No, I'm just kidding. So, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Roab the Moabite, the Ruth of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar brought to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm willing, in a sense, to lay aside my plans for how my life was going to go and take care of Ruth's inheritance and Naomi's inheritance and Elimelech's inheritance and Malon and Chilean, I'm willing to help their inheritance be perpetuated on to, to help that happen. My life, is, in that sense, is not my own anymore. That's an amazing thing to consider, isn't it? You know... When you're young, you don't think about an inheritance. You don't think about how it's all going to go. You just kind of live, right? And then you, you might invest in some things going on. They, they, they say right now that millennials spend more money on coffee than on retirement, you know? Uh, because in some ways, right, they're like, hey, why, why live for some future date that my, where you can't enjoy life? I, I'm going to enjoy life now. And to an extent, that's just a reaction against the fact that the, the past generation sometimes just lived for money, just lived for how much can I accumulate? And they're like, I don't need to accumulate everything. I get that. But, but if you don't think about your inheritance at all, you know, like, okay, let's think about that. Some people... You hear stories, right, that they, they are thinking about their inheritance, and they do risky things. I joke with some guys because they've invested in Bitcoin, you know. 
And, and there's plenty of stories out there in Bitcoin, right? That if you, if you, if you lose your password, all that investment, you know, especially the guys that invested early, you know, like, oh, this is, this is going to be good. And they, they bought 7,200 Bitcoin and they put it under a password and then they threw, like one, one story says that, that, that they accidentally threw the, the, the old computer with the password of the Bitcoin away, you know what I mean? And then he's, he's, he like goes to the to where the trash goes, to the, to the, the trash heap, and he, he's like, where would that be? And they're like, well, it'll probably be about over here, maybe, maybe three or four feet down in the ground at this point. And he's, I mean, why? Because his, he invested some money, and it, now it's worth millions of dollars. I think they said, they said the story I read is like, it was $850 million if you could find that password. But he didn't have the password. It's gone, Right? I read a sad story about a lady in 2020 who, who passed away um, having some mental health issues. She didn't realize that she had $900,000 in an inheritance that was hers, and they tried to contact her, whatever, but for whatever reason, she didn't respond. She passed away without ever claiming that inheritance, that I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we don't think about inheritance. But when we do think about inheritance, usually we're like, well, hey, I've got to keep a hold of it. I've got to, I've got to do something about it. I've got to make something happen. I've got to leave a legacy behind. I want, I want an inheritance that's good. And then when you, when you lose that ability, when you feel like, I have no legacy, I have no inheritance, I have no ability to pass on, that's where Naomi's at. That's why she's bitter. That's why it's a, a problem. And yet God, in his love, redeems us and doesn't just redeem our person like, okay, yeah, you're, you're going to be forgiven. And yeah, you don't have to go to hell. He redeems our inheritance. He gives us a new one. And here Boaz takes on Naomi and Ruth, giving up, in a sense, his plans for his life. And isn't that what ultimately Christ does for us? He counted his life not his own, became like one of us, became a human being, <laughs> lived among us, and didn't ignore the death and destruction we were living amongst and in. We didn't ignore the, 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 the pain and suffering we were experiencing, didn't ignore the fact that our inheritance was death, but he took our inheritance in order to give us his inheritance. Eternal life. He took our death to give us life. He's saying, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm redeeming you. Because part of his inheritance is not just eternal life, it's also the people that he redeems. The church. We are his inheritance. 
we have the joy of being part together of this inheritance that Christ has won on our behalf by giving his life for us. Hebrews 12 puts it this way, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is a huge inheritance to be forgiven, and not just to be forgiven, but to be welcomed into a family, and not just welcomed into a family, but welcomed into a party, <laughs> and not just welcomed into a party, but to be with God himself forever. This is what God has won for us in Jesus Christ, and we, that was not Jesus Christ's inheritance until he became a man like us and won us for his Father. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's redemptive love. That's how you are loved. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, you are loved like that. Not ignored. Not tolerated. Not even like, hmm, I guess I'll, I'll do it because it's a good idea. He chose to give up his life for us, become like us, and to redeem us. Not like the first guy who's like, I've got my own inheritance, I've got my own plans, I've got my own life, I, I need to live for my kids. And, and No, he's stepped into our situation and made us a part of his family. He brought us to himself. Ephesians 3 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's saying, I'm praying for you that you could understand the love of God. Why? Because, right, we struggle. We struggle to think of that kind of love on our behalf. We it's hard for us to imagine that people would, or someone would love us enough to redeem us, to actually enter into our problems and, and take care of them and, and remove them and re, rework them in some ways, to redeem them. Family love is sometimes just nice, you know, it's nice to feel a sense of belonging, it's nice to have somebody to talk to, it's nice to have somebody to hang out with, it's nice to have somebody to, to celebrate holidays with, it's, it's nice to have somebody to, to bounce problems off of. God's love is more than just nice. God's love is more than just forgiving. God's love is redemptive. He looks at us in our sorrow, our shame, our pain, and brings us back to himself. Doesn't leave us where we're at. Notice how the story ends. 
So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, the title of the book is Ruth, but really, it's about Naomi. It starts with Naomi, and it ends with Naomi. Notice what it says. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you, that is, your, your grandson shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And God's plan of redemption keeps marching on. I don't know every situation you're in. You don't know every situation I'm in. I know that they can include sorrow and pain and shame and heartache. But God is a God of redemption. He does not leave us in our sorrow, in our pain, in our, in our shame. He redeems us to himself. And he makes us a part of his inheritance. God is not done working in your life. God is not done working in Ames. God is not done working in your family's life. Why? Because he is a God of redemption. Trust him. Believe him. And if you're here this morning and you haven't put that faith in Christ, maybe you're here and you're like, well, that sounds like a really cool story. Sounds like a really cool thing that, that happened a long time ago. But how does that affect me? No, this story is the story of redemption that goes all the way to Jesus, who became the Savior of all mankind, past, present, and future. He's the Messiah, the Anointed One, who's here to redeem us. He went to the cross, died on that cross, but rose again to give us eternal life with him forever when he returns. And he gives it to us freely as a gift Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. And you receive it just like at Christmas time, just by receiving it, accepting it. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to join a certain church or pay a certain amount of money or live a perfect life or do just enough. So God's like, ah, maybe I'll let you in. No, he gives it to us freely as a gift simply when we say, God, I, I am a sinner. I, I, have, I have this inheritance of death, but will you redeem me? Will you deliver me? And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved. Have you done that? Is he your redeemer? Because one day he's going to come back. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he's going to set things right. What a glorious day that will be. Why? Because God is a God of redemptive love. And isn't that awesome?
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of redemptive love. That you forgive us, yes, but then you redeem us. You call us back to yourself. You work in our situation. And you did that primarily by Jesus, not counting his life as his own, but giving it up for us. Oh, the love you have for us. Help us, as we sang earlier, to be satisfied in it today while it's still called today. And if there's someone here who hasn't trusted in Christ, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, help them to call out to you by faith, trusting in your forgiveness, but also in your redemption, that you love us that way. In your son's name we pray, amen.